0: Engaging Leader, Episode 59, Rebel Leader, Lessons from the Rebellious Leadership of Rosa Parks. your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. Some leaders have it tougher than others. Maybe you have it easier where the vision is popular and it's mostly a matter of keeping everyone focused on getting there. But what if to reach your vision, you have to paddle upstream? And not only that, you have to persuade an entire armada to paddle upstream with you, that the vision is both desirable and feasible. Rosa Parks was one of the best-known leaders of the civil rights movement in the U.S. In fact, the U.S. Congress called her the first lady of civil rights and the mother of the freedom movement. Now, she tends to be portrayed as a tired old seamstress who sparked the civil rights movement by refusing to give up her seat on a bus. But actually, she had been involved in the civil rights leadership since 1943, 20 years before Martin Luther King Jr. delivered his I Have a Dream speech. Today, we're going to be discussing leadership lessons from Rosa's example as a rebel leader, leading people toward a long-term purpose that may not have had widespread popularity and and may even have appeared hopeless. Our guest today is Cody Gasho, the person who first inspired me to take a closer look at Rosa Parks and what we can learn from her as a leader. Cody's LinkedIn profile says that his title is Lead Guy at Praxis Church, So in other words, he is the pastor of a local church, though at our church, we like to think we put less emphasis on professional clergy and hopefully more focus on everyday people serving others and getting to know God. Cody, welcome to Engaging Leader.
1: Thanks a lot for having me. Appreciate it.
0: Cody, what first prompted you to consider Rosa Parks as an inspiring example?
1: You know, like you said, uh, I inspired you to read some about Rosa Parks. Well... Uh, I, I probably got inspired to find out a little bit about her by reading some things and coming across some some things that I saw about her as well.
0: Although I thought I was pretty knowledgeable about Rosa Parks, when you spoke to our church about her example of courageous leadership, I was inspired to find a good biography about Rosa Parks, and I was delighted to discover that a brand new biography had just come out earlier in 2013. It's called the Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks, and it's by Jean Theo Harris. The basic premise was this idea that there's this myth about Rosa Parks, that she was kind of an accidental symbol of the civil rights movement. And this book, in telling her life, you realize, no, she really was a dynamic person who was a purposeful leader. But she wasn't necessarily a leader in the way that a lot of us think of it, especially if you compare her with Martin Luther King Jr., this sort of charismatic visionary. So we're going to look at eight of these things that I think we can learn from her example as a leader.
1: Okay, so the first one is long-term vision and purpose.
0: Right. I think what a, one thing a lot of us don't realize is that she had been involved in the civil rights movement since the 40s. She made, became known on the national stage in the mid fifties. I think it was 1955 when she actually refused to move her, get out of her seat on a bus, on a segregated bus in Birmingham, Alabama. And we get, we get this idea that on that bus, she was a seamstress. she had worked all day and was tired and got on the bus and, sat down in the wrong section and when she was asked to, by the bus driver to move she was just tired and said no and then boom that prompted moral outrage nationwide and we had the Birmingham bus boycott and the rest is history well first of all it it all started much earlier she was born in in Tuskegee Alabama which is well known as the that's the place where Booker T Washington started the Tuskegee Institute
1: mm-hmm. and
0: had had basically been a symbol for many years of the opportunity for blacks in america to to learn to take advantage of educational opportunities and that they were just as human and as intelligent as anybody else in america and yet ever since the early 20th century you had the with the jim crow laws that basically started kind of rolled things backward in America, especially in the deep South and and, and started to create maybe not slavery like there was prior to the civil war, mm-hmm. but this second, uh, an entire second class of citizens. And so na- Rosa grew up sort of on the one hand, knowing the possibility there to be treated as fully human. And yet the reality uh, was that, Hey, if you're black, you are not allowed to use this drinking fountain. You're not allowed to sit here um, you are legally, you should be allowed to vote, but actually there were other regulations in place that prevented you from voting or made it very hard to even register to vote. Right. And if uh, a white person decided to hurt, abuse, or even kill a black person, they were not likely to be punished for that. And so it was kind of no retro, no, no real justice there. And so she basically grew up seeing a lot of injustice, and that sparked in her a sense of need for justice, not for herself necessarily, but she saw the problems other people were facing. Mm -hmm. And from a pretty early age was actively getting involved in fighting for people who had been treated with injustice. For example, blacks who had been wrongly accused of crimes. She was standing up for them. And she had this longtime vision of a unified society where people were living in peace regardless of their race and regardless of their background.
1: I think you mentioned the Birmingham bus boycott, and it was uh, actually Montgomery.
0: You just enjoy proving me wrong, don't you? Well,
1: I get so few opportunities. (laughs) There's a lot of groundwork that happens when you when you have a, this long-term vision and purpose kind of stuff that, that is a part of your life. There's, there's all the things that lead you into it that kind of build up and all the, the stuff that takes place beforehand that oftentimes leads to whether it's a single moment or whether it's a, you know, a certain place or a certain position or perspective that you have at a given time. That that, that long-term, all the stuff that has led up to that, that long-term vision that you've had. At some point, comes to a a place where it begins to be more active or more more visibly useful. You know, what's number two? Individual and thoughtful courage, very yeah. specific.
0: Well, because <laughs> she was she was courageous, but there are some moments where it's a, there's a lonely type of courage. And if you think about her position on that bus, that was had that was a moment of pure individual courage. It took. It took a single person taking an action in that moment.
1: Yeah. And and I think that, you know, probably her time with other people uh, who had had that same maybe perspective or feeling or experience probably helped with her individual. I mean, you never really wind up doing anything on your own, Um, but because she had had contact and, and, and known people who had been through similar things and knew it was an issue and cared about it. When it came time for her to step up, it may have been easier, even though she may have to face some of the consequences of it alone, for her to make that choice knowing that she wasn't the only one who'd been through it may have uh, helped her to be a little bit more courageous in the moment.
0: Right. They they had been, she and the other uh, civil rights leaders in Montgomery, get that right this time. You got it. In Montgomery had, in their meetings and discussions, had identified the bus segregation issue as something that they needed to focus on. And they had actually been looking for the right case, if you will, the right person that would, would, would be willing to carry out some kind of act that would prompt a, a civil disobedience that would be nonviolent, but that would help them put segregation into the court system as a case that could then have some public scrutiny on it. So they were looking for the right person. There had been a similar event that happened six months earlier where a, a young woman had refused to give up her seat on the bus. But there just were circumstances where that, that wasn't the right case. Maybe there's some things in her that person's uh, character or background that really wouldn't hold up well to public scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And then you had this one evening where Rosa Parks worked all day in her job as a seamstress because all of her civil rights work was pure volunteering. She gets on the bus, she sits down in the middle of the bus in the colored section. We A lot of times we miss that point when we're reading the history books, but she actually sat down in the colored section. Right. But as the bus filled up, as the white section filled up, at some point the bus driver stopped the bus, came back and took the colored section sign and moved it further back in the bus. And then very rudely informed all the black people sitting in those couple of rows that you guys have to move to the back of the bus. And at first, Rosa, no, none of the people moved. But then when he said, and I mean it, get, you got you to you move, and, except he didn't say it that nice. Right. All but Rosa got up and moved. And she even scooched over to, to, the, to the window seat to make room for someone to sit there. Mm-hmm. And she knew leading up to that, it, it was in that moment that she it wasn't just oh I'm tired. There was this moment sitting there in the seat where she thought you know, we've been looking for the right case and why not me? Uh, she was in many ways the ideal person. She was a uh, had absolute upstanding character. She was a uh, and everything you would want in, in that kind of case. I mean she was married. She was soft spoken. She was polite and gentle. Didn't nothing you could dig up against her in in especially in that um environment of the nineteen fifties. She was mm-hmm. sort of like every, the, the perfect person to put in that situation. But she knew the cost. It was a very thoughtful it wasn't necessarily pre planned, but it was a, a thoughtful action in that moment that I'm gonna pay a penalty here and I nobody's gonna stand with me. That and she was not surprised at all when everybody else got up and moved and she was left alone.
1: Right. And I think that speaks to one of the other points here that you have listed down as far as, uh, well, actually it's number four character lived out because I, I, I think that thoughtfulness, I mean, obviously that had been a perspective she'd held for a long time. It had been a perspective that she had fought for in a lot of different ways and volunteered her, her spare time, uh, and given it to that cause. But, but to come and be faced with a moment where you have the opportunity to do something, courageous, to do something that's going to require some bravery, and that was already a part of your character, you know, that's already a part of who you are and something you believe, that maybe you haven't had the opportunity to live out up to that point. You haven't been allowed to, to live that part of your character out or just to stand up for that belief, uh, but to really have it come down to a moment where you as an individual say, all right, do I really believe this or not? And maybe this is the time uh, that I need to, to stand up and say, this is enough. You know, here's here's who I am. Who, here's who I what I believe.
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about that character issue since you bring it up early. I'm sorry. Out of order. Out of order. Yep. <laughs> when she was arrested and, and she was completely nonviolent about it, when when the, the when she said when the bus driver said, look, I'm telling you, you got to move or I'm going to have to call the police. And what did she say?
1: You may do that.
0: Right. Yeah. So she completely she didn't resist. Right. And when the, civil, the other leaders in Montgomery learned about her case, they immediately saw that this was the kind of test case they'd been seeking, that she had this character and always had. This wasn't like, hey, this is your moment in the spotlight, so from now on, be a good person. But she was known and respected in the community. She was known as an involved community person. For example, um, one of the large leaders locally, their civil rights leaders was nixon and he said that no one nobody could touch her morally her character or nothing else the press couldn't go out and dig up something she did last year or last month or five years ago she just had an impeccable character and so it's that's not to say that she was just like this meek person that didn't do anything i mean she was actually bold and that came out in the courageousness of the moment but it's she was just still living who she was
1: mm-hmm couple of things about that number one i just to clarify you're not talking about richard nixon right right i some can't other, remember the guy's some first other guy named nixon right <laughs> okay the other thing is uh that I, I think it's really interesting and probably important for us to note that when it comes to uh whether it's just our leadership or, or life in general sometimes the character or, or lack of character i mean it's written down here character lived out as kind of the talking point for us here Man, character's always lived out, whether it's good character or bad character, isn't it? I mean, we see, uh, you always see in the news the the famous people or the athletes who who get caught up, you know, doing you get busted for drinking and driving or, you know, whatever else it is. You know, it's something different every week. And that's character lived out, you know. And, and I think it's important for us uh, and for probably sp- especially people with, in leadership to, to understand that you're already living out your character and you're already kind of reaping the the rewards or the consequences of of that character or lack thereof. So it's important for us to pay attention to who who we're becoming and who we really are, um, because that may it may prevent us from having some opportunities to to really lead and to really do something courageous, to 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 really carry out some kind of long term mission or purpose or goal, um, and to have the impact we could if our character. Uh, keeps us from being that person, you know. If if she had been a morally reprehensible person up to that point in her life, they wouldn't have touched her case and and held it up to people and said, "Look at this terrible woman <laughs> and how badly she was treated." Nobody would have been sympathetic to that, um, even though the 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 discrimination was still just as inappropriate, just as wrong because of who she was her character enabled her to make
0: a bigger impact so character is who we are and who we are becoming on a day-to-day basis but there still are those moments getting back to our point about courage where you have to stretch and stick your neck out
1: sure have you seen the movie uh, we bought a zoo i did see that yeah that, okay it's a good movie uh doesn't sound like it would be a good no, movie. No, it's a horrible it, title. Yeah, it, it winds up being a better movie than you think. But uh, in the movie, uh, Matt Damon's character talks to his children, and I believe he has a conversation with his brother earlier on in the movie or about his brother, where the concept of having 20 seconds of insane courage or 20 seconds of, of insane bravery is all you need to get through or to, to make an impact or to do something that's just terrifying to you. And so you talked about that moment where she was kind of faced with uh, you know, the, these things that she knew. I mean, she wasn't just not thinking about what it, what it meant. I mean, she already knew what it, would, what it meant, but there was still that moment where she had to decide. And really in, in, in life, there is probably a lot of times where it just comes down to, to a few seconds, uh, a couple of minutes where we have to just think out. Am I gonna? Am I gonna be brave enough here? Am I gonna do what's courageous? Because once once I do that, then it, then it's just dealing with all the, the stuff that comes after the consequences or the, the benefits of it. You
0: know. That's a great point. And I mean, when you think from Rosa's life, the twenty seconds at that moment, it was, you're in the spotlight. You got everybody on the bus looking at you. It's embarrassing. You're already being spoken to in a humiliating way, and you don't know what. First of all, what's going to happen in the minutes immediately following? She could have been beaten up. Mm-hmm. Um, she de- knew she was going to be arrested. She could have been mistreated in the, in the jail. Mm-hmm. She could have gone down as, a, a, as an infamous character. And she did pretty quickly get fired from her job and struggled financially f- for a long time after. And then her husband pretty quickly was fired from his job. So mm-hmm. they, they were pretty quickly literally poor. And not any of that was a surprise to her. So, but you're right. It was, it was really just 20 seconds of pure courage because after that it was almost just the ball was rolling and her normal character would have kicked in to kind of help her get through all that. Well, and
1: there's, there's sometimes where you just have to decide, is this important enough, you know, because the reality is, I mean, she probably knew she was going to put her family through some stuff. So is this, is this important enough to put, to, to put my family through some things or, you know, maybe to some of your listeners or whatever, is this important enough that I need to take my organization down this road? Or is this important enough that I need to, you know, in whatever context you're in, is this so important that I, that I need to take, you know, maybe what's going to be a difficult path in order to do what I think is the right thing to do here. And those are the tough decisions that really, I think define what leaders really do, you know, and what they, what they are is that they're, they're people who are willing to to stand up and make those tough decisions, whether they're people out front or people more behind the scenes, but they're willing to to say, all right, this is important enough and it's going to be really difficult, but we're going to, we're going to tackle this. And there's probably not enough of that uh, in our lives and probably in our world.
0: Right. I would, yep. Both having the character in the first place and then having that courage to, at least for 20 seconds, to stick your neck out when it yeah. makes a difference. What's our next point?
1: Well, I don't know. We skipped a few here and there. And yeah, gone, let's go back, back and to one forth. that we skipped. Okay, number three, trust and credibility.
0: And this is a little bit easy to, talk, to, to summarize because we already talked about how her character alone and her public involvement had already – created a lot of trust and credibility in that Montgomery community that as soon as anybody, maybe her name wasn't well known to the broader community, but once they got the details, Mm -hmm. you you trusted her. She wasn't just out of the blue. She had been involved for already a decade Uh, at that point, ever since her, actually her husband, Raymond had first encouraged her to get involved with the NAACP. as He had already been involved for a few years, but after the arrest, That, of course, became the symbol that then the local civil rights leaders used to galvanize the African-Americans of Montgomery to boycott the bus system. Right. And... Rosa Parks herself was very much involved with that, did a lot of the grunt work to make that happen. This was a huge campaign. One, just to get the word out so that people would stop using the bus system and that would create economic pressure and just create a national news item. Mm -hmm. But two, these folks had to get to work. I mean, you're you're not just saying don't use the bus. How are people going to get to work and get to school and everywhere else they needed to go? So they actually organized this entire citywide car sharing system. Uh, What do you call that when people are sharing rides? Carpooling? Carpooling. You have a way with words, don't you? Well,
1: we live in a very rural area, so (laughs) it doesn't
0: happen a whole lot here. So So she she was critical to organizing that, and then immediately she was speaking about it. She was going around the region there giving speeches, and then she started was being asked increasingly to give speeches all around the country, and so she was this symbol of this movement and then, in the years and decades that followed basically any if at any civil rights event, if she was there, it lent legitimacy to what was there so the basically the the message her presence signaled was well, if Mrs. Parks is there, it must be okay mm-hmm. you, you just because of her character and in and, and her involvement everything that went into that and it 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 cre- it'll just lent credibility to what was there. Right. And of course that is something you earn over a long period of time. Again, you don't it's not just this one event. Trust usually takes a long time to earn and that long-term focus that we talked about earlier is critical to that as well as just perseverance.
1: Yeah. Just her commitment to the cause from the beginning, you know, to the end throughout her life you know and yeah there's going to be moments when you waver or you have discouragement or disappointment or whatever but her her lifelong i mean she was trustworthy start to finish you know um and so that that is something to be sought after i think you know
0: yeah and and working for years when you had no indication that your efforts would be realized even in your lifetime mm-hmm. i mean to have those kinds of stories just gave her this sort of trust and credibility that that people respected. Mm-hmm. And it lent that sort of nonviolent, hey, people are, they're, they're inspiring change without necessarily causing a, a, quote, revolution.
1: Right. I think one of the other things that, that lends itself towards people trusting her and, and her credibility uh, is, is one of the other points here. Number five, we, not me. Uh, because her willingness to always focus on, uh, the larger part, rather than her individual concern or pointing to one specific person or anything like that, her consistent kind of stance that, look, this is about all of us, you know, um, it, I think it matters to people, you know, that that they can see that you're not just in it for yourself.
0: Yeah. And you may not make that happen if you are the charismatic, upfront kind of leader. I mean, yes, there there is a time and a place for people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. where maybe a, a, a well, very well-spoken, dynamic, charismatic person can kind of be the, the help galvanize an entire movement. Mm-hmm. But gosh, especially here in the 20th century, in the 21st century, I think that the Rosa Parks style of leadership where you're more of, she was this political organizer who believes more in collective action over individual celebrity. She was much more about we, this is, this is what we are doing. And specifically, she wasn't so keen on any one person necessarily taking front stage. She believed a lot more in the collective.
1: Right. And she, and she was willing to, to live that out, you know, which I think we've touched on already, but that's important that, that people could see in her, right. She's not just telling us we should do these things like this, this woman has been here. You know, she, she did this stuff. So, you know, and, and to have someone like her say this, this could be all of us, you know, it could have been you, it could have been anybody, you know, that I think that just, that lends itself. Uh, yeah. I think you're right towards leadership now to where you're just kind of trying to, to gather people together and say, look, this is, this is about all of us here. You know, as long as you have some action to put behind it, as long as you're not just, just being a cheerleader and saying, rah, rah, you guys go, you know. But if you have some some you can put some legs to it yourself and show that look I'm in this with you, um, that's really valuable uh to really moving people together towards something, I think.
0: Yeah, and her whole emphasis on more broad based structures, not only of action but of decision making. If you think about it, if you're trying in particular if you're a rebel leader, if you're if you're trying to get a, a movement that in the face of of maybe a, a majority that is, is at least at the time is against you or opposed. But if you're trying to encourage a mass movement, I mean, you need to get more, as more people involved mm-hmm. as you can. And that's both in terms of their action and their decisions because it's not going to happen without everybody. So having that we focus, not a, a me focus is right. critical.
1: Right. So number six is, is um, humble, the fact that she was a humble person.
0: Yeah, you don't. Uh, we we touched on this a little bit in the we not me that she wasn't a charismatic type of person. And you know, when you think of Rosa Parks, you don't think of her as a as having charisma or being this public star. Mm-hmm. She and, and that's not just because she believed in a we not me style of leadership. But she really was a a humble person, a, a quiet somebody. Who, she never felt the need to get the credit for anything. Right. But that wasn't because she looked down on herself. It's because she thought of everybody as pretty much equal and she saw the value that everybody gave. I mean, you fast forward a decade and she was wildly well known and popular. Right. And yet, people who did little things would still get thank you notes from her. You know, they would open Mm -hmm. up their mail and never think that they would hear from her. And they would get a, a little handwritten thank you note from, Rosa Parks I mean right. that's just so that's powerful
1: right well I I just think that you know her I, I think she had a very clear understanding of the value of a, of a human being whether it was herself or anybody else um, that they were equal they were important and there's certainly I, I think certainly in her humility you see reflected that she didn't think she was better than anybody else whether they were in a you know, position that was serving her as a speaker, or as somebody who was a, a bigger organizer of things, um, that she, I think she just had a really clear perspective of who she was and, and, uh, who, who other people are too. And I, I think that's a lot of that's lost in our culture now, isn't it? I mean, yeah. you got people either, either think they're just, you know, terrible and have a really poor kind of self-image, self-esteem thing going on. Or else, there's people who just are unwilling to accept they're anything other than perfect. So it's my way or the highway kind of thing, you know. So I think those are two kind of extremes that uh, she really uh, embodied—the complete opposite of—in her life and leadership and, and everything. That um, she was gonna, she was gonna be uh, willing to serve and thank others, you know, as well as you know, step up and do the part she needed to do.
0: Especially, I'm sure at the time, but even more so now in the 21st century, I think a lot of people are just more likely to get on board with a mass movement if they recognize that the people involved in the leadership is humble, is not in it for themselves, doesn't think that they're God's gift to the world, that they are just part of a movement of people, good people doing good things together.
1: Right, and so much of that is just is just doing what you said, just doing the right thing I mean she just did the right thing and she didn't require attention she didn't call press conferences to make big speeches or anything like that you know she just uh, did what she felt she needed to do she was okay with the consequences of it to some extent Uh, you may do that you know Mm -hmm. and she wasn't going to she wasn't going to let it change her perspective of who she was or who or the cause that she was kind of supporting so yeah
0: Yeah. And and even like her public speaking was always at the request of some local organization. It wasn't that she was even pushing herself that way. And she did all that at great cost to herself. She was not making, she was always financially pressed and always scraping to make ends meet. And yet she would break away and go do these speaking engagements. Well, number seven is investing in young people. And... A lot of leaders, I think maybe many of us, forget about how important this is. I mean, Rosa Parks, in the 40s, uh, not long after she first was getting involved in civil rights, decided to focus her efforts on working with the youth. And that a lot of that was because she is things seem so hopeless in the current environment and so she thought well if i can invest in these youth and maybe someday they'll be able to make a change she sort of she saw that it was going to be a long time this might not we might never get there in my lifetime but maybe these youth here can someday make that happen and i think as leaders a lot of times we're maybe speed oriented and you see that maybe you can make a bigger immediate difference if you're focusing on adults. I mean, they're the ones that are out doing things in the world and Mm -hmm. making money and all that. But if you have got enough of that long-term focus, you would see more value in investing, helping young people make a difference and helping educate them and teaching them about the importance of this long-term purpose. And then the very last one is reading. And it's kind of a cliché. Leaders read, right? Right.
1: (laughs) Leaders are readers, right?
0: We've heard that for a long time. But it's true that she really was a voracious reader. And she, her whole life, read uh, all the newspapers and especially a number of black newspapers to keep up with the issues of the day. And that helped her have a a broader scope. I mean, she, she stayed current and she had a greater sense of perspective. And it's interesting that she didn't have she was not a well-educated person. In fact, that's one of the issues that she struggled with because she it, she often was kept out of the limelight in the face of better educated speakers like mm-hmm. Martin Luther King. She in fact when she got married, she didn't even have her high school education. You know, it was her husband who encouraged her to go back and get that diploma. But yet, somewhere in there she developed this love for reading and re- recognized the Uh, value of that and kept that up her whole life and it it did make a difference
1: sure so these are the eight lessons from the rebellious leadership of Rosa Parks right number one was long term vision and purpose number two individual and thoughtful courage number three trust and credibility number four character lived out number five we not me number six being humble number seven investing in young people and number eight reading.
0: Fantastic. Cody Gasho, lead guy at Praxis Church. Thanks for joining us on Engaging Leader.
1: Thanks again for having me.
0: All right, leaders. Before we wrap up this episode of Engaging Leader, I do want to acknowledge that Cody and I are a couple of white guys who don't fully appreciate what it would have been like to be an African-American woman in the mid-1900s, nor even today. And so it's possible that we have some insensitivities and ignorance that we aren't even aware of. But hopefully you can take today's discussion for what it's worth as two people who are very much inspired by this true engaging leader, Rosa Parks. The book we've discussed today is The Rebellious Life of Mrs. Rosa Parks by Jean Harris, and we'll put a link to that in our show notes at engagingleader.com forward slash 59, as in episode 59. If you have any comments about today's show, you'll find a comment section at the bottom of those show notes. We'd love to have you join the conversation there or on Facebook or LinkedIn or on Twitter, where I am at Jesse Leahy and Cody is at Cody Gasho, C-O-D-Y-G-A-S-C-H-O. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.